Theology is oftentimes an adventure in missing the point. Indeed, the image of the theologian conjures, at best, a detached, disinterested spectator on earthly events. But what if a mostly orthodox Christianity had something vital to say to the world around it? What if, in the words of the great black liberation theologian James Cone, theology was really political language? This is Public Theologians. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Public Theologians. I am Casey Hobbs, and I'm pleased that you're tuning in today. If you hadn't been paying attention, there is a huge union movement in Bessemer, Alabama, which is just outside of Birmingham, which is where I'm located. And I have mentioned this a couple of times before, uh, but the voting for the union just ended uh, the other day. I'm recording this on Wednesday, March 31st. So they're uh, counting votes um, and hopefully we'll know soon whether or not there is a new union formed at the Amazon uh, warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama, which would be huge. It would be amazing. Um, I have mentioned before, but I see this as a theological issue. This is something that not only says something about how folks think about God, but in particular, how folks see uh, each other and the humanity that um, is that is given to us in, in one another. And so uh, to talk more about that and, and to give us really a great picture of how in particular the Birmingham uh, DSA, Democratic Socialist America organization has been involved in the union forming. Um, uh, I say forming, but it's voting right now, so we'll see. Um, but in this movement, and uh, kind of just to give us a picture of the stakes involved, um, I am super pleased to welcome onto Public Theologians, Jason Kubilis. And Jason has been working super hard on this campaign. Uh, he is the one of the co-chairs, uh, which is funny. Of course, he's one of the co-chairs. He is a co-chair of the Birmingham Democratic Socialist America. So Jason, without further ado, thank you so much for coming on Public Theologians. Thanks for having me, Casey. Yeah, we talked about this. Like, I always say one of the co-chairs, but like, <laughs> the term co-chair implies the existence of at least one other chair. So, kind of a redundant term. So, just co-chair yeah. is cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll, bl I'll blame you for for my having misspoke even after we talked about it like thirty seconds ago. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so, so you have been just incredibly active. And just before we get into this, I want to commend you for working tirelessly on this. I was telling my wife last night about you being on the show today and just about how you have just been lighting up our, our DSA Slack channel. And it's been, I mean, if you were doing this as a full-time job, um, I would be I would be moderately impressed, but the fact that you are doing this in addition to living your life uh, and, and you know, that the stakes are, um, I don't know, we'll ask how personal they are to you, but, but 
you're not necessarily gaining anything personally by doing this, you're just doing this. And so, first of all, I want to commend you on really some amazing organizing work. And second of all, uh, just, yeah, give us kind of the, the big picture about where the, where the um, union voting is right now and kind of how that's taking shape. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for the commendation, Casey. You know, I've been sort of um, fortunate and not fortunate this month for it to be kind of a slow work month. Um, it's, I, I work as a freelance court reporter and work has just generally been slow since the start of the pandemic. Mm. Um, not as many attorneys are, are calling depositions and certainly not as many judges are holding as many hearings or trials. Um, so it's been kind of slow this month, which has given me a little more time um, to organize around Amazon. Um, I'm sure Casey, you've seen like the, the daily updates throughout this whole past month yeah. of March, uh, with everything related to Amazon, because there's, there's a whole time, you know, it's not just once a day, it's maybe twice or three times or four yeah. times a day. It just kind of, it's all been happening very, um, very rapidly. And, uh, I'm trying to just, uh, keep everybody in the loop in our chapter as much as possible. But where the voting is right now, as far as I know, um, the word I got, so the NLRB office, I think in Birmingham, had to receive all of the workers' ballots by Monday, this past Monday, March 29th, and voting commenced, not voting, but tabulation of the voting commenced um, yesterday, Tuesday, I think 10 in the morning, um, with reps from both Amazon and RWDSU present. Um, and from my knowledge of how the tabulation process works, so when each worker turns in their ballot, they put the ballot in one envelope, and I think they put it in another envelope, and then on that second envelope, they have to write their signature over the seal or their name, and then put it in an envelope that's, uh, that's prepaid postage and send it off. So three um, envelopes. I think so. Three envelopes. Very sure. <laughs> I, I'd say that because I, I voted by mail when I lived in Washington State, and I don't think there was even that many um, envelopes involved in the process. Yeah, I, I used to live in LA, and uh, yeah, I think I voted by mail in 2016, and that was just one envelope, I think, or maybe two, <laughs> one to hold back yeah, the ballot. I was like, I think there might have been two in Washington, but I'm sure yeah. there wasn't three anyways. Yeah, but the initial process is that because it's, it's being, this is all being done on Zoom, the initial process is the, I guess, person from NLRB will hold each ballot up in front of the camera, showing the signature. And if one party contests it, they put it in a pile of contested ballots. If they hold it up and no parties contest it, they put it in a pile of uncontested ballots. And they do that for, However many ballots turn in, I mean, they could be up to 5,800, it could be maybe half that, don't really know how many people have voted. Once they've done that sorting process, they'll count um, the ballots that are uncontested, they'll count the yeses and the noes. And I think if the difference between the yeses and the noes is less than the amount of uncontested ballots, then They'll start, they'll bring those uncontested ballots to a judge or to a court and determine whether those ballots can be thrown out, whether they can, whether they can be counted. Um, from what I've heard, Kim Kelly, 
who is a labor reporter for, um, she's, she's working for like More Perfect Union. She just published a great article in Vox. Um, I'm not sure if you read she's, called yeah, she's, she's been a great person to follow during this whole thing. I'll make sure to put a link to her um, Twitter feed in that because yeah, she's done some really great reporting. Sorry, interrupt. Yeah, I'll, no worries, no worries. Um, but she said, I think she's still around here and she said probably the earliest we'll find out is Monday. Um, if we find out Monday, it might even take longer than that. Yeah, it sounds um, like it could take a year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, having to go through like each ballot and just, you know, uh, nitpick <laughs> on signatures or how somebody signs their name, I'm sure it'll take a very long process. I'm sure Amazon will be just as contentious with it as they've been throughout this entire process. Um, so I think... I think it's going to be a while. Yeah. Tell us a bit about uh, why you had mentioned that you had a slow work month, but in addition to that, I think it seems like this is maybe more than just some spare time that you're finding laying around. So for you, what has been uh, such a, a push and a drive to, to be so invested? And then I want to talk about kind of some of the partnerships that uh, Birmingham DSA has made that you've been able to to form um, and then and yeah yeah that's a, that's a great question you know I joined DSA in 2017 right after um, the events of Charlottesville in August 2017 I went to school in Charlottesville at UVA okay. and that kind of it, it hit home for me in particular like seeing like literal Nazis walk past places like I lived my first year and then my third and fourth year and mm. places I walked to and from school and then places where, um, you know, I, I worked um, in downtown Charlottesville one summer at like a tiny children's theater there. And uh, yeah, that, that alley where Heather Heyer was killed. Um, I've been down there dozens of times. And um, I, I've had a lot of time, especially in the past couple months to reflect on sort of what brought me to DSA or what radicalized me quote unquote. And a lot of times I'll take Charlottesville, but Charlottesville is really more of kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. Sure. It's me like going from sort of being apathetic in a way and just posting about stuff on social media and then realizing, hey, I gotta do something. If I want the world, if I want a better world, I have to actually yeah. go out there in the streets and do something. Um, you know, it wasn't Charlottesville, and it wasn't exactly the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement that, you know. George Zimmerman verdict and Ferguson, that wasn't exactly it, but obviously that contributed to it. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I think like Obamacare radicalized me or the, the insufficiencies of Obamacare. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I think about like it's the 2016 election, um, you know, Democrats missing a slam dunk. <laughs> um, but, but really sort of what synthesizes all of that, what I think really truly radicalized me was just being a working person in Los Angeles. You know, I studied I, I did theater in high school. I graduated with a BA in drama from UVA. Um, I worked at a couple of theaters in Virginia, North Carolina after I graduated and I didn't have a job. I was like, what do I want to do? I want to do film, let me move to LA. So I lived in LA for seven years. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of doing, some, some doing theater there, some going to auditions, doing student films, but Overall, generally, my experience in LA was being a working person and being yeah. a working actor, but really more being a working person. Mm -hmm. um, I delivered food. I drove for Uber and Lyft. I waited tables. Um, I worked in closed captioning. Like mm -hmm. I, I worked for companies where 
They would get TV shows two weeks or four weeks before they air. You know, over, uh, I moved there, I moved to LA in 2011. And when I started out, I was, you know, I found a delivery job, a couple delivery jobs that paid really well. And then I lost those delivery jobs. And then um, I just sort of went through a cycle of, you know, waiting tables and then driving for Lyft and then you know, also doing closed captioning, but then like getting laid off from closed captioning, going back into waiting tables while also driving for Lyft and Uber, Jeez. juggling like three jobs, like yeah. pretty much the whole time. And just not seeing any significant change to my bank account. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm making the same wages. My rent's going up. The cost of living is going up. I got married to, um, had our son and I was still working my butt off trying to make ends meet while the cost of living all around me was going up, rent was going up. And I'm trying to do all these things that I thought, you know, I think are important, yeah. um, you know, ha- you know, having a family, um, supporting that family and just seeing all these protections around me, not be there or not exist. Um, I also went through, I don't think I ever, I maybe had one good experience with a landlord in LA. So by, by the time our son was born in 2017, we were like steeped in credit card debt. I was deep in student loan debt um, from uh, you know court reporting school, um, which was a for-profit private online mm-hmm court reporting school and I was working my butt off trying to support my family and rent was still going up. Things were still happening, you know, cost of living was still going up. And I don't know who can go through that, you know, trying to do these things and, and support a wife, a son, you know, not with luxurious things, but trying to meet ends meet yeah. and say, Hey, this, this isn't right. I shouldn't be having to work this hard. Like I, I'm driving, like at that point, at one point, like right before we left 2018, I was, I like, I was working for a restaurant. They closed down because they were losing business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was driving for Uber again, right before we left. And I was making like 10 or 12 bucks an hour and including not in the NLA, not including gas money. And I, I don't know who can look at that and say, that's not right. That's not, I'm doing everything I can to support my family and I'm making worse wages than I did seven years ago. Like it, it can't be. I think, yeah. I think that is ultimately what radical, like what radicalized me. Like this is a broken system and it's personally affecting me. And I've been fortunate enough after we moved to Birmingham and, and certain things changed in our life and my life personally, that I'm living a little more comfortably now. Mm. And I'm very thankful for that. But after having been through that experience of being a working person in LA, I'm like, I, I don't want anybody else to have to experience that ever again, which is where a lot, I think a lot of my drive comes from. It's just recognizing like firsthand working people's struggles and trying to create a better world where you know, working people can have a dignified life so you can support your family, so you can live 
a life of dignity. So you're not working for the bosses all the time or trying to pay rent that you can enjoy things and enjoy life like we all, because there's enough stuff and there's enough money and there are enough resources to go around. So we should all have that. So yeah, um, I think that's where I come from a lot. Um, yeah. yeah. I know there's a second part to your question, but I forgot it. Yeah, no. Okay. So, and it's, it's sort of connected, but it's, but it's not, but it is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I guess kind of tell us, cause you've been making some really great connections out there. And uh, you mentioned the NL NLRB before um, and the, the union that's working um, with Amazon. Um, and I know that we've been able to connect with uh, Greater Birmingham Ministries and um, our revolution Birmingham. So just, yeah, kind of tell us what that's been like to collaborate with some other really great organizations on the ground. It's been awesome. I mean, um, so those, uh, six other organizations, including us, not including us, Birmingham these days, it's seven total organizations. So Birmingham BSA, Black Lives Matter Birmingham, our revolution Birmingham, uh, Alabama Working Families Party, uh, Sweet Alabama, Greater Birmingham Ministries and um, the Birmingham branch of the Party for Socialism and Liberation came in at the very last minute. Um, I think there was um, some question early on about um, from their membership about whether they could be involved with us, but they eventually signed on and they um, so they really stepped up over the course of the past two months, February and March, with canvassing, particularly in Bessemer. Like they have Bessemer covered and East awesome. Lake covered. Um, so yeah, kudos to them for, for sure. Um, but it's been great. I think it's brought all of our organizations closer together. So ballots got mailed like February 8th and then February 12th was a Friday. Josh Brewer, who's the director of organizing at uh, RWDSU Mid-South had a Zoom call with all of our organizations, Birmingham DSA, Our Revolution, Black Lives Matter, all sorts of people, um, and just sort of gave us from there the go ahead to organize something in support of the union. Um, obviously, uh, with the structure that was set up, we wanted to get his approval on things beforehand, but really it was kind of the go ahead to, for us to take initiative and get the ball rolling and mobilize um, our entire community in support of this union. Um, you know, all, all of our work has been centered around the purpose of just bringing out community support, whether that be, you know, local community, um, Black Lives Matter Global, folks nationally. Um, and yeah, it's been a real whirlwind for sure. I mean, we sort of from that meeting until like kind of when things wrapped up last week, that was six weeks. That felt like, from my point of view, that felt like much longer than six I'm weeks. Sure. I'm yeah. sure. I mean, we got, we got like, there was a virtual block party that happened the week after for the 220 day of action that was organized by Southern Workers Assembly. Um, we sort of, our local coalition organization organized that here locally. And a couple weeks later, canvassing started, um, and that went on for three weekends. Um, what else do we do? We had a rally on March 13th that was sponsored by Black Lives Matter Global. 
Um, I think we had some collaboration with the Poor People's Campaign and NAACP. Um, our, our friends at Black Lives Matter Birmingham did a lot of that. Um, there was a rally the week after that was organized by the coalition organizations. Um, another rally, uh, but that was more um, in line with uh, Bernie coming last week and Silver Mike coming, um, which is kind of, I mean, we had a rally outside, but the unions did a lot of that organizing. Um, and just lots of different things here and in between um, that we all collaborate on. I mean, we, right after that February 12th meeting, we all, all the coalition organization members, we just hopped on a Facebook chat and that's been our primary uh, means of organizing uh, or communicating. And it's just been, it was just nonstop for weeks. It was just, things were happening, bing, 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 so quickly. Um, but I think, uh, you know, it's just me, but I think we came out stronger out of this. I think um, we've definitely created a, net, uh, a strong connection, a strong network between our six organizations or seven organizations um, that we can use uh, going forward. Uh, for example, yeah. I'm not sure if you heard today, this morning, but um, at least a thousand UMWA workers, uh, UMWA is United Mine Workers Association, um, announced that they're striking starting tomorrow, Thursday, April 1st at 10.30 a.m. And we're already talking, not just in DSA, but on this Facebook chat that we have with the coalition organizations about things we can do to support this strike. I know I spoke with um, somebody from UMWA this morning about what we can do to support. They said, we need help with distributing yard signs around the community. We need help um, plugging into an existing food bank or organizing a food bank um, to support our workers um, who will be going on strike. And so that is kind of all being worked on right now. So um, it's, it's honestly, it's been awesome. And I'm so appreciative of all the other organizations for, for what they've done and everything that we've done. So. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's, I think, you know, the, obviously, what happens on the ground is super important in, at the Amazon facility in Bessemer, um, hopefully we get some good news uh, coming out of that, but yeah, I mean, I think also, you know, there's this constant conversation on the left of uh, whether anything can ever happen top down um, or if it only can happen from the ground. And I think this is just a really great example of um, people getting together and just sticking it out and being ready for the next thing, um, which is, I think, you know, again, no matter what happens with, uh, with the Amazon Bessemer uh, situation, there, the Birmingham DSA along with all these other great organizations that you mentioned, and I'm sure more will pop up um, because there is, there's just this continuing growing um, movement for uh, people wanting to join with, uh, with workers, uh, you know, moving for the rights. I had a question in there. Um, this is what it was. Okay, so the South has a really bad reputation for um, for labor movements, for really for kind of anything uh, 
progressive in any sense of the word, but in particular, uh, it's well known for being anti anti worker, which is why you see a lot of uh, manufacturing um, centered in the South now that it used to be centered in the North and now it's down here. Um, but there's, you mentioned the Poor People's Campaign and uh, Dr. W uh, Reverend Dr. Barber uh, interviewed Robin D.G. Kelly, who is uh, a historian at UCLA and his work has focused on labor movements in the South and in particular in Birmingham. Um, so kind of, I think that's one of the, the other amazing things about this moment is that you see a lot of people all around the country starting to really key into the history that Birmingham has and to say, this isn't, um, this, is, this is not a place that has always been um, anti-worker in the sense that it is now. Um, so yeah, and, and I speak to this as someone that's not from Birmingham. I'm from California and I've lived in Seattle and, and have been in Birmingham here and there in the last 10 years. Um, but yeah, as maybe as- I grew up, I, well, so I grew up in Northern Virginia, okay. in Fairfax so County. Sort the, of the, joke, the North, yeah. Yeah, the, the joke <laughs> is that, the saying is the South starts two counties down from us. I mean, okay, I right. feel I feel like for all intents and purposes, intensive purposes, I forget what the saying is. I feel um, for practical purposes, I'm from a Northern city. I'm right. from the mid-Atlantic. I feel like more closer to like Washington and Baltimore and like mm -hmm. New Jersey than the South, but that doesn't uh, negate the fact that I did grow up in Virginia. Yeah. I remember um, in middle school, I went to a public middle school, and I remember the teachers went on strike in our county, or I think um, our state, I forget specifically what, but because of right to work laws, they couldn't, they couldn't strike during the actual school day. They could okay. strike, they could start striking after the school day is over, so like all extracurricular activities were canceled. And we just saw the teachers go on strike, but they couldn't strike during the work day. Wow. Um, so that's maybe like my earliest experience with like right to work laws, like that it very much uh, is intent to mute labor's power. Um, and I mean, we see that all over the South. I think there are like 28 right to work states all across this nation, and a lot of them are in the South. Um, I mean, the whole purpose of these rights to work laws, which came about, I think, um, I don't, don't quote me on labor history because I'm not the best, but I think it came during the Truman era, um, during the Truman presidency. Um, I mean, the whole point, like, for example, um, unions, if you want to join a union here, you don't have to pay union dues. I mean, the whole point of that is to, again, weaken organized labor's power and, you know, uh, weaken the coffers of organized labor. Um, and so you can edit this out or me muttering and stumbling. <laughs> um, we, you know, um, I mean, yeah, we have right to work laws in Alabama, in the South, but we have to also remember that, like you said, there's a strong labor history in Birmingham. There's a strong labor history in Alabama. I mean, 
Birmingham, Bessemer, this entire metro area has a strong history as being a mining town, a steel working, you know, steel, a steel producing town. Um, and labor unions were pivotal, not just in obviously fighting for the working people of the city, but also crossing color barriers and color lines from the end of slavery during the Jim Crow and Reconstruction era, crossing color lines to bring black folks and white folks together in order to fight against a common enemy, which was the bosses. Um, yeah, and that, and that's, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's one of the amazing things about that history. Uh, uh, Robin D.G. Kelly, he has a, a book called Hammer and Ho, um, and it is about communist movements it, around the turn of the century in Birmingham in particular, and those mining, um, the mining towns within Birmingham. And it's, yeah, it's folk, it's really a it was a black movement um, in Birmingham, which was obviously you don't associate, especially historic communism with uh, with black folks uh, working in the South, um, but that's exactly what it was. And, and so, yeah, there's a real untold history there that has a big parallel again uh, to, to what's happening here is, yeah, you're just this, Bessemer plant is, do you know the, do you happen to know at least ballpark kind of the demographics um, of, of the Amazon workers in, in Bessemer? Yeah, um, ball, so I've been told 80 to 85% black, more women than men. So certainly this, I think it, it is fair to characterize this as a movement that's largely being led by black women. Mm -hmm. um, and you know we've obviously seen a lot of black women step up and be um, prominent voices in support of the union. I know Jennifer Bates has been a great voice. She even testified uh, before the Senate um, a couple weeks ago um, per an invitation by Bernie. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. So I know Catherine Highsmith, who's a white woman. I think she's also been um, has stepped up a lot as well. Um, and there's somebody else I can't recall her name right now, but she spoke um, right before, like right before Bernie and Killer Mike spoke, um, just talking about her experience. She's she, she talking about like how she's in nursing school and she's also working Amazon. She also has to pull another job um, mm -hmm. that she talked about how Amazon wouldn't give her time off or would give her proper coverage for an injury that she suffered while on the job. Um, you know, we've heard tons of stories from Amazon workers, not just in Bessemer, but all across the country about women, especially single women, having to choose between like being penalized at work or losing their jobs and picking up their kids, um, which is incredibly sexist and no yeah. woman certainly or no parent certainly right. should have to be put in that position um you know and certainly with a lot of the mandatory overtime that amazon requires of workers as well as their um, tendency to change worker schedules at a moment's notice or while they're sleeping overnight that that just makes that all the more difficult um but 
you know, a lot of Alabama's labor history, it's not just kind of isolated, it all um, is interwoven and intertwined with, you know, Alabama's, the, the civil rights movement in Alabama. I mean, mine mill um, union that arose in the early 20th century and, and kind of dissipated after World War II, that was a largely black union of steel workers. And that very much laid like, that organizing very much laid the foundation for the Birmingham campaign of the civil rights movement. I think a number of my mill members were uh, bodyguards for Fred Shuttlesworth, for example. Um, and so, you know, especially over the past like seven weeks or in March, RWDCU I think has made a very conscious effort to link this labor struggle, this particular struggle to a civil rights struggle, because yeah. it is, um, you know, black lives can't matter until black labor matters and black workers matter. I mean, Jeff Bezos, after George Floyd was murdered last year, um, plastered black lives matter all over Amazon's right. website. And sure, you know, we see a lot of corporations doing that all over the place, but until, you know, black people, black workers, um, are given more power or authority over their labor, you know, and the things that they create with their labor, um, that to me, that slogan means nothing. I right. mean, yeah, it's, and it, you can it say means, black, even, means even less uh, to folks on the ground, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, better than, you know, I'm sure Amazon workers who are largely black are asking Jeff Bezos and the bosses at Amazon, if black lives matter, then why aren't you improving our working conditions. If Black Lives Matter, then why aren't you paying us more? If Black Lives Matter, then why aren't you giving us more time to use the bathroom or take breaks, uh, yeah. you know? And I, I think the workers at the Bessemer Warehouse uh, connected those dots and stepped up and fought for a union. And we're here now and yeah. Yeah, that's we're all the better, I think, for that. So. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I love that, and I, I think that connection too. I think is is so crucial when we talk about empty slogans and um, and then putting some real um, real power and real um, concrete material reality behind a, a slogan that that is important and and it is it does have power but only if there is material change behind it absolutely i have one more question and so we had planned to speak last friday and you had uh had had to cancel kind of last minute and you had mentioned a couple times bernie being in town so i'm gonna i want i want to see uh just kind of how that interaction with bernie went um I want to see kind of how, uh, what that was like for you. Yeah. You know, I was, I think it's the second time I've seen like Bernie in person. The first time was when he came down to Birmingham in 2019, in May of 2019, um, right when he was sort of kicking off his 2020 campaign. Uh, I remember that, that particular um, stop he made, um, that was like right after um, KIV signed the total abortion ban. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Or not total, or... Yeah, yeah it's like the six-week yeah. six 
ban. Yeah, I think it was like it was like total like no abortion yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, you can't. And then uh, yeah, but next Bernie, time possible. Like, yeah, yeah I guess the Bernie uh, campaign organizers let us use Ingram Park, which is where he had mm -hmm. his stop. They let us use Ingram Park for a rally and a march after that, so that was really cool. Uh, you know, rally and a march. Um, you know, to to uh, to speak out against um, the total abortion ban. But this is the second time I've seen Bernie. I was hoping that it was I would be able to get like sit at a table and talk with Bernie and Killer Mike. But that wasn't the case. Um, we just they came out um, after they spoke with a handful of workers at the uh, the Amazon warehouse in Bessemer um, and, and gave great speeches. Um, I, I remember seeing clips um, of Bernie talking with these workers. And I'm, I'm glad like he spoke with the workers before our community organizations because it, it all comes from the workers and they, their voices need to be put front and center first right. and foremost. Um, you know, Amazon, the, the workers were talking about how it's just intensely hot in that warehouse, especially in the summertime. One oh, worker was talking about um, seeing a woman have a heart attack, pass out and have a heart attack while working. Um, you know, again, workers are talking about breaks and not having adequate time for breaks and not having their concerns um, being acted upon by management. Uh, I remember Killer Mike, when he came out and spoke, he was connecting what he heard from the Amazon workers to his, his family's, his ancestors' experiences um, working in working as as farmers as sharecroppers in georgia i mean it's intensely hot i mean we live in alabama we live in georgia we live all in the deep south it's just very hot and humid in the summer and that's what these amazon workers are going through and he was killer mike was saying look this is these are sweatshop conditions these are slave labor conditions um i think at the end killer mike said you know, if this union doesn't go through, if it's a union no, then he is calling, he is going to stop buying things from Amazon and is calling for other folks to follow in his footsteps. I, I think that might be um, certainly something to consider. And Bernie came out and Bernie gave a very short speech, um, kind of echoing a lot of the points that Killer Mike said, um, you know, Bernie said that, you know, union doesn't do everything for you, but it's certainly a place to start. You know, it's a place to start fighting for better working conditions. It's a place to start, you know, yield, wielding some real power to Jeff Bezos and the bosses of Amazon to say, hey, you need to fix this. Or I don't know, we're going to wield our power as your labor. Yeah. Um, and it was a great, it was just a great rally. We, there was a rally, community rally beforehand. We had lots of folks from Our Evolution, Black Lives Murderingham, some folks from the Alabama House of Representatives. Um, some folks came over from Georgia, like Mariah Parker, who is a, I think a county commissioner in Athens, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And also Khalid Kamal, who is a city council person in North Fulton, Georgia, and is running for mayor um, there. So it was again just a great way to build energy and put the workers first and foremost and really fight for this union so it was great 
And we have saws too, and saws is delicious. <laughs> that's that's a, a, a prerequisite when you uh, when you talk about Birmingham in the South is that you have to mention exactly the uh, the provider of the barbecue, uh, yeah. and saws is delicious for is. anyone listening outside of Birmingham. Yeah. <laughs> but Jason, I am I'm so uh, happy that we got to talk about this, and again, just commend you on some really great work and i am excited to to work with you in our uh, birmingham dsa chapter uh moving forward too and i look forward to the next time our our paths get to cross thanks for having me casey and uh thanks for uh everything you've done uh, casey came out um listeners to um the very first rally in support of this Amazon union, it was February 6th. It was very cold and was very <laughs> rainy that day. And my shoes got very muddy. I'm sure Casey's did. Um, yeah, I was wearing my brand new shoes that day. Yeah. It, was, it was not a good choice. <laughs> I think I wore, I think I wore like these beat up red Converse's that already have like holes in them. I probably, I got my socks were like soaking wet by the time <laughs> thing. But Casey came out and like he was holding one of the signs that, um, we got made that AC, our comms chair design, and then I printed. And uh, if you find like that, his a picture of Casey holding up that sign is like making the rounds <laughs> on like new national news, um, national news covering the band. Of I, know, I, was, I was loving yeah. that. I, that was I think that was the only thing I was able to be at physically present at throughout this whole yeah. thing, and that was like picked up nationwide, and I was. Uh, Jason and AC and some of these other folks that he just mentioned are, were uh, just knocking on doors in the heat and and passing out out there and, yeah. and then my little picture was out there so <laughs> that, that was funny we, we appreciate it appreciate it yeah you're, you're just holding up a fist with one of our signs like and see the Waffle House in the background yeah. <laughs> that's perfect yeah, yeah. Well, well all right thank you so much Jason really appreciate it Thank you, Casey. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Our theme music is by Small Fish. Our art is by Phil Nellis. We would love it if you'd share this episode, if you'd get a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And we also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash Hobbs, where you can support us for as little as $3 per month. Now go in peace to love and serve.